Turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to 12, we're going to look at. Again, I just want to paint a broad overview of what it is that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And I want you to have some things to sort of anchor the series on as we move. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. So see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to this temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. Verse 5. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defend laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, a descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of the, of time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how, how do we rob you? And tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. The whole nation of you because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land says the Lord Almighty. This is God's word. In verses 8 and 9, which we'll sort of park at today, God asks a question to his people, the nation of Israel, and God gives an answer. That's kind of the, the heart and meat of this passage. God asks the question, will a man rob God, and yet you rob me? Did you know that Hebrew experts have puzzled over this word rob? Because the word rob... That Malachi uses is not the typical Hebrew word to like take somebody else's stuff. You know what I mean? To rob. Take somebody else's stuff. The word rob literally in Hebrew means to pillage, to plunder, to pillage, to plunder. So Hebrew experts have puzzled over this word because if you think about it this morning, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It seems to make very little sense that God would use that word to say to his people, you're doing that to me. You're pillaging. You're plundering. You're robbing me. How, how are mere mortals, how are mere human beings doing that to you, God? Pillaging, plundering, oppressing, as if a power, powerful country does to a smaller country. And God's answer is simple and straightforward. He says, you do that by keeping a lot of your stuff for yourself. By using it for your own self and for yourself and not giving more away generously. Now, check this out, you guys. 
What God says here in this biblical truth is just mind-blowing for us to think about because what God is saying here is, when he's, what he's implying is much more than that when we don't give. Many of us, when we think, I don't give as much, I'm not as radically generous, we think it's about, I'm stingy, I'm a little cheap, I'm a little miserly. God says it's way beyond that. When you don't give generously, okay, there's two things that God is implying. I'm just going to throw the first one out there and you need to come back because I'm not going to talk about it today. When we're not generous, we're committing cosmic evil. When we're not radically generous, God is saying here, we are guilty of committing cosmic evil. And I'm not going to talk about that today. Okay? And there will be no podcast, so you need to come back. Okay? Cosmic evil. And I'm just going to throw that out there for you to think about. Secondly, when God says, when we don't give and we rob him, he's saying, we are completely and utterly delusional. Delusional. What do I mean? One of my favorite stories in all the Old Testament, when it comes to the aspect of stewardship and giving, and some of you guys have heard me kind of refer to this passage before, is a story found in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. You don't have to turn your Bibles there for sake of time. I'm just going to give you a backdrop. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, King David has been the king of Israel and sort of in the latter years of his kingly reign. And one day, David is sitting in this beautiful palace that's made of fine gold and silver and marble and wood. And he's sitting there chilling out. And then it dawns on him, wait a minute. The very presence of God, the thing that houses houses the presence of God, that symbolizes the presence of God, is sitting outside the city in a tent. So David decides one day, that's just not right. He's looking around all these other pagan nations who developed these wonderful, elaborate temples for their pagan gods. And David says, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to build a temple for my God. He is Yahweh. He is the creator God. So here's what David does. David judges up plans, and he begins to get ready. And then he hears a messenger from God. And God says, David, you're not, you're not going to build a temple. Why, why not, God? And the answer actually given is, you've been a warrior all your life. You've shed much blood. So you're not going to build this temple. David says, who's going to build it then? God says, I want your son to build it. Solomon? Yeah, Solomon's going to build it. So here's what David does. David then begins to raise money to build this temple for God. And he pours in his, his, his wealth, his finances. Uh, he pours in all that he has, both professionally and personally, into this thing. And when we come to today's passage, it is, it is at that point where the nation of Israel is gathered and David is looking at all that he's raised and then he prays this amazing prayer. I guess to the heart of what I want to talk about. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God. We give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Here's the big first principle that we're going to deal with for the rest of the series. Our money, quote, quote, our money belongs to God. Our money. Uh, Say it with me. Ready? 
Our money belongs to God. Say it one more time. Ready? Our money belongs to God. David is saying everything personally, professionally, everything that he has, everything that he will have ultimately belongs to God. He says, God, it's all yours to begin with. See, David understood something that many of us, I personally really struggle with this, and I'll share in a little bit, really, really struggle with this when it comes to our stuff, our wealth, our money, our finances, and that is this. David says, interestingly enough, he says, he, he says, he says that the, all that I have has come from your hand. Verse 14 and verse 12, from your hand. And the word hand in Hebrew literally means strength, activity, power. So David is saying, everything that I have, God, comes from a result of your activity, your strength, and your power. And David understood something that we have a hard time. And that is, despite how smart we think we are, despite how hard we've worked, despite how, how we've, we've, we've outworked everybody else, despite all that we have done to get what we have, David says, all of it, God, comes from you. All of it, God, ultimately belongs to you. Practically, let's think about this. How many of you guys do well for yourself because of the family you grew up in? Raise your hands. Out of us. How many of us were fortunate enough to be blessed to be in a family where our parents helped out with a college education? Yeah. You see where I'm getting at? The only reason why we weren't born on, 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 on the absolute poverty in, in, in the mountains of Tibet in the 12th century, if I could take far enough, had nothing to do with us. Amen. It had nothing to do. So anybody who says, you know what, everything that I have, all that, it's because I, I go, did you have anything to do with the family you grew up in? And the answer is, no. Let's take it farther to the stream. You're going, you know what? I didn't grow up in a family like that. I grew up in a poor family. I grew up in a family there was no options. I grew up in a family where I was basically set. So here was what I did. I worked hard. I worked harder than anybody else. And I outworked everybody. I out-networked anybody. And I just, I worked my tail off. And that's where, and so which I want to go, okay, well, let's think about that. Um, who gave you the mind and the brains to be able to work as well as you did? I say it a little further. Who, who gave you and is responsible for your health? <sighs> I'm 40 years old. And I say that a lot because I feel old. I'm really sorry for those of you that are older than 40. I should be careful what I say around here. I, I still think our church is made up of just of 20s. Wendy, Dan, I'm really sorry. I, I, I just, I'm just, yeah. I just heard there's a pastor who's done effective ministry, 37 years old, brain aneurysm, cancer. He may have like a month to live. And you guys, I really sit and sometimes I think about God. I'm fairly healthy, you know, fairly fit, I guess. Fair, fairly, fairly. I got some stomach issues. But I look back and I go, <laughs> but I look back and I go, God, could I have done anything, anything, including pastoring this church? Could I have done anything, any of this, if not had been for the fact that you blessed me for whatever reason with some level of health? 
Some of you have amazing personality, very charismatic in terms of how you deal with people. And as a result, you've risen in the ranks in your company or you've risen in your, in your, in your workplace. And again, I go, who gave you the personality that's winsome to think outside the box? And the answer goes back again and again and again to God is the only reason that all these critical factors and ingredients came together. Everything we have belongs to God. You know, David so got this. Because the verse that I love in First Chronicles chapter 29 is verse 11, where he says, Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. <laughs> Think about what that meant. You know, we read it, Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. He's a king! He's a king! Matter of fact, think about who this king is. When he was a teenager, God anoints him and says, you will be the anointed king of Israel. And his life and road wasn't smooth. Right after that prophecy, a jealous, freakish king named Saul will make his life a living hell. For years, he wanders in the desert. And then remember that whole Bathsheba thing? Yeah, not Bathsheba. He falls in this sin, goes into deep, deep depression, loses that child. And he comes out of it as king. And then his son Absalom betrays him. Betrays his own father, his own flesh and blood. Betrays him. Takes over his kingdom only to get it back because Absalom gets killed. David literally expended blood, sweat, tears for his kingdom. And at the end of his life, all that he has worked for, all that he has known, the only thing he's given his life for, he has the audacity to look back and say, God, yours. Is the kingdom. I'm sorry, but I can't say that. You know, when I'm pastors' conferences, secret confession, pastors come and go, How's your church doing, Peter? It's not, How's God's, how's your, I know what they're saying, you know, how's your church doing? And secretly in my mind, I'm going, My church is doing great. Thank you very much. How's your, and I get this thing, you know, and outside I'm like, oh, all glory to God. All praise to God. If you want, I say all the right things, but at the end of the day, there's this thing in me that says, but I and little me, and 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 I just want to go, oh my gosh, you're so pathetic. David has the audacity, and I say that word, he had the audacity to look back. And you and I, come on, we look at our tiny little kingdoms. You know what ours is like? You know what your, David, you know what our kingdom is like? It's like my daughter Sophie and my son Parker, you know, at home. They're at that age where, (laughs) it's the most hilarious thing. I see my Parker son, he spends like three hours building this elaborate castle, elaborate thing, right? And he's just, and Sophie, I see her from like over there going on, she tiptoes, right? And just when Parker is not looking, swipe, right? And she takes off. And my son's response is absolutely ridiculous. He's not going, oh, okay. He goes, what? And his first word is, say it with me, mine. And it's a perfect picture of us. Oh, my gosh. We look at our jobs, our occupation, our little wealth, our little, our little kingdom, and we go, my stuff. It's my, goodness gracious. Yours, oh Lord, David, has the audacity to say, is the kingdom. You know what happens? 
God, it's not because I was a great strategist. God, it's not because I was smart. God, it's not because I was a charismatic person. God, it's not because I was a great warrior king. God, it's not because I worked harder than anybody else. David, at the end of his life, looks back and says, everything that I have is a result of you. Wow. Can you say that? Can I say that? Or are we like little... Mine! Again, God doesn't want your money. If you want it, he'd take it. He doesn't want, he wants something else. What is that? You know what, think about it this way. When we get this, we relate to our money the same way that a money manager relates to his investor. How many of you guys are in investment? Feel of investment, investing? Like, nobody? Okay, okay, handful of you guys. So you guys will relate to this. You know what this is like? This is like our investors giving us money to invest in. Now, if we do really good at investing, our funds will grow and, our, and the owner investor gives us more money and we will reap the benefits of that, fruits of that, right? If we do a good job. But not for a single second do we ever go, mine? If we did, it's called fraud. And now we come to understand why God doesn't say to Israel, Israel, ties and offerings, you're stingy. God doesn't come and say, you're cheap. God doesn't say, you lack generosity. God says, you robbed me. Why? It's not ours. Never was. Never was. If there was a heavenly securities and exchange commission, maybe there is. By the way, for those of you that don't know what it is, I think it's that group that polices this kind of thing, right? If there was a heavenly exchange commission, many of us are looking at serious jail time. You know what I'm saying? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I don't know. What if somebody owns you a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars? If somebody loans you a hundred thousand dollars that invested, would you feel bad about giving them back five bucks? But that's how we think. Hello. It's not yours. Say this with me. My money. Oh, come on. Like you mean it. My money. Hey, I haven't got the second part. You should like this part. My money is God's money. Say that with me again. Ready? My money is God's money. So here's the thing. How would that change your perspective? How would that change you? Listen, how would that change you if you walked out of here today and as you went home, you mentally labeled all your stuff, your time, your belongings, your house, your car, your money. If everything that you had, you mentally labeled it. Provided for and belonging to God for his use only. Provided for Belong to God for his use only. How would that change you? How would that change me? Let's keep going. Second principle that we see. Not only money belongs to God, but our money makes us blind. Our money makes us blind. Notice verse 3.8. Chapter 3, verse 8. It's a question. God says, you're robbing me. And they're saying, we're robbing you? Uh, 
Not only does verse 8 tell us what it means to rob God, so it tells us that we're oblivious to the fact that we're robbing God. Okay? Luke chapter 12, verse 15. I'm going to have fun with y'all on this one. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Why is that important? Do you guys remember at all, anyone in the New Testament, where Jesus comes along and says, watch out for adultery? Answer? No. Why? Because adultery is not sin. Adultery is not bad. Of course it is. Watch out for sexual moral. Why doesn't scripture say that? Because here's the thing. When you're committing the sin of adultery, you know you're doing it. And nobody can make sin of adultery going, oh my gosh, you're not my wife. <laughs> Why does the Bible say, watch out? For all kinds of greed. This is the reason why I've prayed all morning today before I spoke to you. When it comes to sin of materialism and greed, nobody thinks they're doing it. The biggest challenge for the sermon series is to get those of you that go, I'm not greedy. I'm not materialistic. I give away to the poor. I'm generous. The most challenging thing, spiritual, it's major spiritual warfare for this sermon series is that for those of us that say, it's not a problem for me, is for us to get to see that it may be a problem. In all of my years, I've been a pastor for like 18, 19, 20 some years, eight years of this church plan. I have yet to have a, I'm looking forward to this day. I have yet to have one single person in all of my counseling sessions who walked into my office because they struggled with the sin of greed. Not one single. Pastor, I just got to meet with you. What's wrong? What's wrong? Sit down, sit down. It's okay. I just, I just, I just went out the other day, and I bought some shoes. I don't need these shoes. I, will you pray for me? Nobody. I've yet to have one single person who walked into my office saying that they struggle with greed. Lust, oh, please pray for me. A major lust issue. Oh, please pray for me. Pride, major pride issue. Uh, Finances, materialism, greed, it's not a problem for me. Jesus comes and says again and again and again, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. Why? Money is different than other sins and other things. We are totally blinded to its influence and its power over us. And we're walking around every day, all week and saying, it's a, you know what the funny thing is? I see this as an issue for some people, and I'm speaking to some of you in our church, who are extremely justice-minded, like you care about the poor, and you're walking around with major credit card debt. Watch out. You might be blinded to its effect on you. You know what this means practically? There's a practical reason why we struggle with this. And the practical reason is most of us 
The reason why we're blind to it, most of us are surrounded by groups of people who always spend more money on themselves than you do. Is this true for anybody? Most of us are surrounded by people who always spend more money, you know? So we're basically comparing ourselves to them. And, you know, we got the judgmental thing in us and going, at least I'm not like that. At least I'm not like that. If they ain't where I shop, if that... Most of us are surrounded by people, so we always feel sort of middle class and frugal no matter what. Can I get an amen? Y'all know who you are. Oh, man. Oh, man. Don't miss this. If it's true that the Bible talks about greed and materialism constantly as if it's an issue, and if the Bible also constantly says, watch out, watch out, watch out, then make it a working hypothesis that this might be an issue sin issue in your life. I'm not saying that it is. Make it a working hypothesis that this might be an issue in your life. I don't want you to trust yourself. For those of you going, you know what, I really don't, okay, let me just put it one more way and then one more When was the last time you just sat and you thought, by yourself, by yourself, is that, you know, do I really need all this stuff I have? I should give a lot of this away. When's the last time you just went there on your own? When's the last time you sat and you go, you know what? I could be a lot more generous. Man, it's been ages since I've given like the tithe, the 10%. Uh, maybe I should. When's the last time by yourself you went to that place where you said, you know what? I know I should be a lot more radically generous. I'm, I'm seeing all these need, all this brokenness around me. And I, when's the last time by yourself you went there? Hmm? Don't trust yourself. That's all I'm saying. But if you do go there, if you do go there, don't go there by yourself. Because some of you are going to go, okay, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to say, God, Holy Spirit, will you convict me? Man, I spend way too much stuff on myself. My credit card debt is out of control. And I'm just being self-centered and selfish. But man, I better change. So I'm going to, don't trust yourself. You will always be a lot less generous than you think you are. <laughs> Because if you think you're really generous, come and talk to me after church. I'll talk to you. Go there with community. Go there with a the group of people who love you and care about you and saying, hey, 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 hey. Man, you spent a lot of stuff on yourself. Did you really need to bother? Did you really need to get that? If this is speaking to you at all this morning, say amen. The Bible does, does however, give one clear guideline. <laughs> To see if your giving is where it needs to be. You know what it's called? It's called a tithe. God specifically says in verses 8, 9, and 10 that they failed to tithe. Tithing is an Old Testament law that God gave to the Israelites. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were required to get 10% of their first fruits. Okay? By the way, just real technically, whenever somebody comes and says, the tithing thing, is that supposed to be like before tax or after tax? I'm going, you have a problem. <laughs> you know why? Because the whole thing of, well, if it's my stuff, that actually matters, doesn't it? But if it's God's stuff, the tithe. It's interesting because I still get Christians from people, questions from Christians who go, the tithing was an Old Testament deal. You know, I'm like the New Testament guy. Janine, I'm looking at you, girl, okay? I don't know if this is you, but, you know, the whole, I'm an Old Testament. I actually had one guy, and I had this conversation. I want to tell you how it went. A guy came to me and said, Peter, is New Community a law church, or is it a grace church? I think he's setting a trap, you know? So I said, hmm, well, we're a grace church. 
He said, ha, ha, ha. I'm glad you're a grace church because actually, you know, you guys are one of these law churches that told people they had to tithe. I'm glad you're a grace church. So I said to him, I said, no, we're a grace church. See, the law says, do not murder. Grace says, don't even have hatred in your heart. Love your enemies. See, law comes along and says, do not commit adultery. Grace says, don't even have impure thoughts in your mind for someone else. Law says 10%. Grace, 10, 20, 30, 40. You know, there's a limit. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't want you to not be a grace guy. So you can give as much as you want to. His response, oh, Profoundly theological, as I like to say, response. The tithe. The tithe. Oh, the tithe. You guys, we're on the other side of the cross. The recipients of a new covenant. And we're privileged with so much more. We've experienced grace, not law. We are recipients of the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. How in the world could we think that we, who are privileged with so much more, would give much less? See, I'm going to talk more about this next couple of weeks, but when it comes to tithing, here's the thing. Some of you guys think, you know what? If I just have more money, I'd give more away. Is that true? Never. You know why? Our living, our lifestyle always increases with the number of mo- amount of money we make. So folks are going, okay, well, you know what? If, if I make $100,000, and there are some folks in our church who make that, $100,000, I have no problem tithing, $10,000. you kidding me? Because we get hung up on the numbers. If we make $100, some of us do, giving away 10%, $10, God, okay, it's yours. $1,000, $100, yeah, you know, God, it's, it's yours. Boy, that's an extra zero. Okay, $10,000. We think that it'll get easier to tithe when we don't. Can I just say this? The most generous people in our church are people who make the least amount of money. The most generous people in our church are people who make the least amount of money. Scripture is really true. It's like that widow with two pennies. They get it. The wealthier you are, and I'll talk about this next week, the wealthier you are, the harder and harder and harder and harder. Let's finish up here. Third principle, money belongs to God. Second principle was money makes us blind. Third principle, money reveals our idols. And we see in the very same verse the real reason why we don't give generously and why it is that money has so much power over us. Look at verse 10, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Everybody look up here. Everybody look up here. You got you to you understand this. When God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, storehouse, that word in Hebrew, literally means treasury. So think of this. Every temple at that time, both pagan gods as well as others, every temple in that, in that time had what's called a treasury. So people came and gave their gold, gave their silver, gave their jewels, right? And it was all kept in the treasury, otherwise called a storehouse. And out of the treasury or the storehouse came the money to offer worship to that God, to continue the salvation system of that 
particular deity. So out of the treasury and the storehouse came the, the, the ability to worship, worship practice of that God. And God comes along to the nation of Israel and says, Hey, bring your tithe and offering into my treasury, into my storehouse, in the worship and service of me. Implication? If we are not putting our, sto- our, our tithes and offerings and our financial resources into God's treasury, God's storehouse, in the service of God, it's going to serve some other God in another temple. And all of a sudden, we are faced with, ah! You know why this whole sermon is called treasure and not giving or offering or tithing? Well, those are just lame. Okay, anyway. So the reason why it's called treasure is because Jesus later on will say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And all of a sudden we're faced with this reality. Christians, I'm talking to you. Child of God that says, I am allegiance to Jesus. I have loyalty to Jesus. I serve Jesus. I have priority about Jesus. I am worshiping Jesus. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the light bulb goes inside of our heads and God comes along and says, you say the right things, but the real God that you worship is in that temple, in that treasure. Let me break it down for you this way. If you find that incredibly difficult to be radically generous, if you find it incredibly difficult to give 10% of your income to God and yet find it unbelievably easy to spend money on clothes and shoes, your treasury is your wardrobe and you are looking to your physical appearance and your acceptability in terms of physical appearance to find significance, worth, and value. If you find it incredibly difficult to give radically 10%, give radically more than 10% to God and God's causes, or find it incredibly easy to spend money as if it was nothing on houses or things in your house, you're looking at that. Your house is your temple, and you're looking at your house to say, look how beautiful it is, look how wonderful it is to gain a sense of significance, worth, and value. If you find it incredibly difficult to give radically to God's causes, but money just flows out of your pockets on electronic equipment, flows out of your pocket, eating out, flows out of your pocket, taking your boyfriend, girlfriend somewhere, flows out of your pocket to any of these things, then your real God and your real treasury and the real temple is something else besides Jesus. What? is it? Then there are some of us in here who hear that. We're sitting here going, amen, brother. Amen, brother. Preach it. I've worn the same thing for two years. (laughs) I pack my lunch to work. I have no life. I don't go out. I don't see anything. Preach it, brother. And you are, you are somebody, though, who is storing, saving, securing. Your bank is your temple in the service of the security God. And you're looking to your security and savings and saying, even if when a rainy day comes, I lose my job, at least I have And practically speaking, 
no amount of savings, no amount of security can stop broken hearts. No amount of savings, no amount of security can stop cancer, traffic accidents. No amount of security that you and I spend so much of our time, you know, it's control. It's like, I got to keep control of my life in a chaotic world. And we spend all of our energy into just trying to maintain control. And so we save in security and investments. And there's nothing wrong with that in and of ourselves. But when we try to look those things to replace Jesus as the only true source of security. And that foundation is taken from under us. We're left with nothing. Nothing. Do you know why Jesus said where your heart is, that your treasure is also? Let me just break it down for you this way. It's not really hard to go, oh, I think I worship Jesus. The only thing you need to do is follow the trail of where your bank statements, where your money, where your credit card statements, where your receipts go to. Just follow that trail, and at the end of that trail is a throne. And who and whatever is sitting on that throne is the real God of your life. Is that Jesus? Or is it something else? David Kirago, come on up. I want to end with this as we finish. Because the whole sermon series is essentially unpacking this truth, you guys. How many of y'all are feeling pretty convicted right now? Anybody? Three people. Okay. How many people are convicted but not really want to say, do anything about it? Go. Mm-hmm. Listen, you guys, I want to end with this because here's the thing, and I'm going to say it again. For those of you that are non-Christian or maybe for those of you that are Christian, or maybe you came for, for, for the first time and you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, of all the sermon series, you had to talk about money. It's not an issue for me. Or maybe you're sitting there going, this is a major issue in my life, but I was hoping you'd kind of ease me back into this whole relationship with God thing. You know what I'm saying? Like from the first day. Here's what I want to leave you with, all of us, regardless of where we're at. And as you think about this whole series, I want you to think about this truth. Because as you know, the, the, the solution isn't, you know, saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and work really hard. Okay, I feel really guilty, so I'm going to go home and write a check. I'm going to go really home and do all that. I don't want you to do any of that. I'm not asking for your money. God isn't asking for your money. I want, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. All of this, all of this, all of this gets to this. Unless we make Jesus our treasure, all of this is irrelevant, meaningless exercise. What do I mean? Every gospel in the New Testament affirms that the prophecy in Malachi 3, 1 and 2 is actually about Jesus. You know, the person who prepared the way is John the Baptist, right? And then he says, the one who will call out into the temple, the one that will arrive, he's talking about Jesus. And 500 years after actually this prophecy in Malachi, Jesus did ride into Jerusalem. And the thing is, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he walks into the temple. Follow my thoughts. Into the temple theme of temple and he starts overturning tables and starts throwing stuff away and the pharisees are like whoa what the heck are you doing and jesus says to them he looks at them he goes destroy this temple and i will raise it up in three days and they're flipping out because they're going it took us like 75 years to build it what are you talking about And, and and the gospel writer john who's very helpful he says oh yeah jesus meant his body Jesus was saying, kill me and I will rise again in three days. Jesus was saying, the time will come 
when there will be no more need for temples for people to go into to meet with God. Time will come when I will be, I will be the temple. I will be the fulfillment of the temple. And as a result of me, anybody can meet God. Anybody can encounter God. What was he saying? Listen, listen, listen. I talk to people who walk into my office and literally, if I had to summarize their life story, they would say this. They would say, Pastor Peter, I gave my entire life for that treasure. I expended blood, sweat, and tears for that treasure. I gave my life. I sacrificed my children for that treasure. I gave everything that I had and then some for that treasure. The reality is you and I are hardwired in such a way that we will do that. We will do anything to keep that treasure. We will do anything for that treasure. We will pay any price for that treasure that we long for, that we seek. And the question becomes, why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus do that? Answer is simple. You and I were his, say it with me, treasure. Why did Jesus expend his blood, sweat, and tears? Why did Jesus give his life? Why does Jesus do everything and then some for us? Because you and I were his treasure. And just as we would do anything to keep our treasure, we would do anything to pay any price to have that treasure. And to Jesus Christ does what he does because you and I are his treasure. His treasure. This God is not sitting up there with the rod saying, give 10% or else. This God sits up there and says, I have given my life and my all because you are my treasure. And the only way that we will ever change, the only way that our lives will be transformed, the only way that we'll look at our wealth, resources, everything we have from a godly perspective and live a life as he intended, it's not guilty rules. It's not calculator 10%. It's staring ourselves and staring at the cross of Jesus Christ and meditating on the grace of God who says, though he was rich, he became poor for you so that you might become rich. You know what happens if we get this? I'm going to leave this out with you. Rest of the sermon series. When we actually get this, that we are a treasure, we no longer have our treasures telling us what to do. Our treasures telling us where to go. Our treasures telling us how to spend our lives. When we get the gospel, we begin to tell our treasure what to do. We begin to tell our treasure where to go. When we really get this, we don't sit there and daydream about, oh, if I really, if I, if I just had some more money. If we really get this, you'll start daydreaming about, if I had more of Jesus. We said that we don't daydream. If we really understood this, we don't sit there daydreaming about, you know, if, 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 I, if I just had more of money, more of resources, more of, we still daydream about, if I only had more of Jesus. We don't daydream about, you know, if I could just find a job that would pay me more, we actually daydream about, you know, if I could find a job that would enable me to serve him more, to advance his kingdom more. Treasure. You and I. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Father, we do come today.
Will you spend a moment, church family, with me? Just a moment. Bow your heads. Our money belongs to God. Is that true of you? Can you say that from the bottom of your heart? Do you mean it? Money makes us blind. Are are you aware of its blinding effect that it may have had in your life? When was the last time you actually thought by yourself about whether you were living in accordance with God's will in this area? Money reveals our true idols. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Is Jesus the treasure of your life? Is he the treasure of your heart? Wow. I'll give you a moment just to pray. I'll give you a moment just to reflect on this. And then I'll pray for us and we'll, we'll, we'll close and we'll be done for the day. If you feel like you're somebody who is just in deep financial mess, credit card debt up the wazoo, and you're just feeling just guilty right now more than anything else, you're just going, God, I feel absolutely helpless and hopeless. We just pray and say, God, will you, you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you speak to me? Will you reveal yourself to me? Father, will you begin to reveal the steps that I can take, God, to live in line with what you say in your word? And that you would have the courage to to be obedient, even if it means taking drastic steps. Will you just go ahead and pray? It's okay. He knows. He's listening. Pray. Pray. Let's all stand together. I want you to receive this prayer and this benediction. Stand together. God, we begin this journey today. And God, I pray for courage. I pray for honesty. I pray for integrity. I pray 
for those of us that were here today to begin this journey, that, that we would not cop out, that we would not chicken out, that we would not, just because it's uncomfortable, just walk away from hard truth. But Father, I pray for your blessing and for your leadership and Holy Spirit to guide us during this journey. I could honestly say from the bottom of my heart, there might not be anything more important for us at this season, at this time, to talk about, to meditate on, and to really do soul searching than now and what we're talking about. So God, I pray, pray a blessing for my brothers and my sisters as they walk out of this place and live their life out in the real world, God. That they would be true church, they would be witnesses for Christ, and that they would live their lives as a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ as related to their money and their finances. Holy Spirit, you are the best teacher. Continue to speak, continue to teach, continue to remind us of this truth. That where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Reveal, show, speak to us, God. We want to encounter you in an authentic way. So go forth, people of God, beloved children of God, recipient of the greatest gift ever in the history of the world, the Son of God and Son of God crucified and risen again. He is for you. He is with you. He is your heavenly Father. He calls you to trust him, to rely on him, to love him, to serve him, and to worship him. Seek him first in his kingdom. And he says, let me take care of the rest. Trust him with that truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, amen. Have a great week, you guys. We'll see you back here next Sunday as we continue our journey. Invite your family and friends as you continue to pray for them. God be with you.